So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to continue this message on how you fit into God's story. And this one's kind of unique. This one's a little different than usual because we're going to be talking about the second coming of Christ. How many of you guys have ever heard that term before, the second coming of Christ? Raise your hand for me. Okay, how many of you guys are like, I have no idea what you're talking about? Like, what's the second coming? I don't get it. Okay, maybe a few of you. Right on. So what we're going to be looking at today is this event in time that has not happened yet, known as the second coming of Christ. Now, tell me if you can relate to me on this. When I was a kid, when I was your age, um, my mom would head out to the store or something like that, or my mom and dad would go out on dates. Yeah, uh, married people can still date in case you're wondering. And they would, they would leave, but while they were ready to leave, they would give us certain things that we had to do while they were gone. I need you to put the dishes away. I need you to clean your room, or I need you to fold the laundry. I want it done by the time we get home. Has anyone ever been told that before? Your parents are like, hey, you can stay home, that's fine, but you need to put the dishes away, and they need to be put away before I get home, Okay. If you're smart like me, you wait until mom pulls into the driveway, back from where she's coming from, or when it's at night, you see the headlights through your window, and you're like, oh, crap, you know, you run into the kitchen, and you're trying to get everything ready, and it's just like, oh, my gosh, am I going to make it in time? Um, if you can time it well, you can kind of give yourself an idea of how long mom and dad will be home, and sometimes you wait until the very last minute. And sometimes mom and dad come home a little bit earlier than expected. But if you're blessed a few times, then there are chances where you'll have like almost a whole night to yourself. And it's awesome, okay? And I think what happens is we, um, we see the importance of it because we're told by an authority like, hey, you need to be ready for this. You need to make sure that you have this all done. If you don't, by the time I get back, I'm going to take away your privileges. I'll cancel your Netflix or I'll pause your Spotify or whatever it might be. And we can easily... I think when it comes to Christ returning again, we can act a lot like that. We can act like we are when our parents say, hey, put the dishes away. By the time I get back, I want that done. And I think what happens when we think of the return of Christ is we have good intentions of being ready for it, but we're not ready for it fully and, and, and completely because we're like, oh, Christ isn't going to return. Did you know that even in the Bible, it talks about Jesus himself coming back again for the church and things like that. But even back then, they said he's coming quickly. He's coming soon. And it's like, well, if they've been saying that since the times found in Scripture, maybe I have a little bit more time than I thought. But here's the reality. The Bible says that no one knows the day or the hour in which Jesus will return. We're talking about in that moment the rapture of the church. And so we have the rapture of the church not really knowing when that's going to take place, but there is something unique about the second coming of Christ because we actually know when he is coming back the second time. I'm not talking about the rapture because that is a time that we don't know. The, the church being taken to heaven with God, we don't know the timing of that. The Bible even says not even the Son of Man knows the day or the hour in which he will come. But there is something unique about the second coming of Christ that I want to talk to you about. And you're like, why in the world do we have to talk about this? Because in order to be ready for the return of Christ, you have to be ready today. You can't wait till tomorrow. 
You can't wait till the day after or the day after. You can't wait till you see the headlights coming up the driveway because that's not how it works when it comes to God. The realities of life is that it could come at any moment. So when I say that he can come back at any moment, I'm talking about the rapture, which doesn't really give us any warning or sign because the next sign is the very essence of that. It is him coming back again. So the Bible says that we don't know when that's going to happen. You and I don't know when we will die or what our life at the end will look like. But the reality is that you and I must live a life that reflects someone who is prepared. How many of you guys play sports? Raise your hand for me. Okay. What sport do you play? You're in gymnastics. That's awesome. Um, when you, you don't have a meet, you would have, what do you, like, what are your events called? Like, okay, you have competition. Do you show up to a competition with gymnastics and you start practicing the day of the competition, the morning of? Are you ready? Like, are you ready for the competition before it happens or as it's happening? Before, right? You're going to practice. You're going to the gym. You're making sure everything's ready to go. What about anyone who plays um, soccer or football or something like that? Okay. You guys play soccer? Okay. Do you show up to a soccer game and you're like, all right, let's kick the ball. Let's do this. You know, you're like ready to go or whatever. I'm not saying that's how you kick the ball. It's just kind of like whatever. World Cup has like got me in this like really craze right now. Go Portugal. What up? That's where my, my family's from. So I'm, 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 I'm Portuguese and no. I'm Portuguese and so I got to root for the Portugal because they're awesome and Ronaldo's really hot. So what's up? <laughs> I had to say, all the girls are like, oh, oh my gosh. It's okay. We won't use this in the podcast. You, you're, it, we, no one will hear it. We'll, we'll, we'll delete that out, right, guys? Right? We'll delete that. Come on. Um, make me blush. Oh my goodness. Um, you don't show up for a game on the day of and you're just like, woo, yeah, I'm ready, let's go. You're like, okay, well, go get the soccer ball. What's well, a soccer ball? <laughs> right? Like, you don't, hey, why don't you go grab that football? Oh yeah, that thing over there that Michael Jordan throws a touchdown? Like, if, if, you're, if you're not aware of what's happening before it's taking place, you're not as prepared as you think you are. And that's my whole point to this whole thing is that if you are not prepared before it actually happens, you won't be ready at all. But because we've talked about the second coming of Christ, we have to talk about the first coming of Christ. So let's do that because I think that that will help you understand a little bit better the perspective that I'm talking about when it comes to the second coming. So the first coming, it is so bright right here. What's happening? It's, uh, um, the first coming of Christ. We're all familiar with this scene, right? Luke chapter 2, baby born of a virgin Mary, born in a manger. He has these humble beginnings, right? He's born in a manger, yet prophecies are saying that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Why would a king be born in a trough where pigs eat their food out of? That's gross. But this is the first coming of Christ. When he was born as a baby of a virgin woman, born in a manger, born because there was no room for him elsewhere. I think the, the best way <clears throat> of describing Jesus' first coming is of the suffering servant. The suffering servant. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom <clears throat> for many. Excuse me, I don't know why my voice is going out all of a sudden. 
Before we move any further, we need to know that as much as we are excited about the second coming of Christ, I hope you are, we must be excited about the first time Christ came to earth. Because without Jesus coming the first time, he wouldn't be able to come a second time. When Christ came the first time, he showed to the world and he proved to everyone that he was here for them. I think so often we can get caught up in the fact that Christianity just seems to be for those who have their lives together, for those who um, are the misfits of the world, and Jesus can kind of come and use your brokenness in your life to create this like big story, right? Like people are writing books about how through their tragedy and things like that, that God brought them out of this. But here's the realities. The gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for every single person. You're, you're, you're a saint. Thank you, Michael. The gospel is for everyone. It's not just for someone whose life is broken and then God can transform it, although I think that there is power on display through your brokenness, but the gospel is for anyone. The Bible says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So when Christ came that first time, he came to prove to the world that he wasn't just here for a certain religious type or that he was here for a certain political type or a certain type of people who have money. In fact, Jesus' ministry was a reflection of who he came to save. Jesus spent time with sinners, with tax collectors, with adulterers, and the like. Why would Jesus do that? Why do you think Jesus would be so concerned about that? Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors, he's having meals with the IRS, okay? If you know anything about the IRS from your parents or anything, you know that they're not like the, the most nice people because they only call you when they want money from you, okay? Jesus is eating dinner with tax collectors and other sinners, and they asked his disciples, these, these church people asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Excuse me? Right? I mean, could you, be, could you imagine being labeled scum, a sinner? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call those, not who are sick, who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. <coughs> Excuse me. So when we see that there is a need for your sickness to be cured, you go to the doctor, right? You have a sore throat. You're not going to be like, no, dude, I'm good, bro. I'm okay, you know? Um, when your knee pops out of place on a Wednesday night during soccer on the field, Michael, what'd you do the next day? You went to the doctor. He went home. I went home. Mommy. I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. He went to the doctor. Why? Because something's not right. When my knee's popping out of place, uh, hey, I don't think it's supposed to be doing that. Yeah, you, you, go, you go to someone who, who specializes in helping you with that. Jesus was ultimately saying, yeah, I, I'm the specialist. I'm the person who's coming to help you. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not sick. No, no, but you are. No, my knee's good. Why is your knee pointing that way? No, my finger's not broken. What, I, why is your finger falling off? Like, no, I'm good, right? 
how often do we treat God like that at times? He comes to hang out with sinners, and you're like, good thing I'm not a sinner. Good thing Jesus don't need to save me. Uh, correction, anyone who thinks they don't have sin in their lives is a liar, and the truth is not in them. You're like, oh, Pastor Brad's calling me a liar? No, the Bible is. It's from 1 John. 1 John is calling you a liar, Okay. But that's the realities of us knowing that we need a doctor because if we realize, if we recognize, everyone say recognize. If we would all recognize our sin, we would realize how much we actually need God. And I think that was Jesus' point when he came to hang out with the IRS, when he came to hang out with adulterous women, when he came to hang out with other people. The reality is that the Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost that was his whole desire. He came to relate to those that might feel left out. Have you ever felt left out before? From anything. Just raise your hand. Have you ever felt left out of something? You know, there's this thing called FOMO. You all know what it is. The fear of missing out. How many of you guys have ever had the fear of missing out? Whether it was someone posted on social media like, Oh my gosh, I'm at the premiere of Jurassic World. And you're like, my mom said I can't watch that because it's PG-13 and I'm only 12. You know, like, I mean, all I'm saying is that there are, there are moments in life where we have this fear of missing out on something as if someone else's role is more important than ours. But the reality is, is that I think the fear of missing out is just our way of not feeling as um, significant as we feel like we should be. We feel like we should be more important than we are. But the whole desire that Jesus had was to seek and save the lost, and he came to relate to those who might feel left out. So by the show of hands, you proved that you have felt left out at times. Guess what? Jesus has said, hey, I come for you. My, my first coming, the time I came as a baby, remember that, in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger, there's no room in the inn? Yeah, I came to relate to you. Because Jesus himself was left out. There was no room in, in a hotel for him. Uh, excuse me, there's a king coming through. We need a, a really nice royal place. Oh, yeah, sorry, there's no room for the king. I'm sorry, what? Like, you don't have room for a king. Like, you make room for a king. That's the realities of Jesus here. His humility proves to everyone around the world, including you and me, both then and now, that he desires all people to be saved. His entire lifestyle was that of a servant. Look at the screen here. Write these down if you can quickly or take a picture of it because I think here's what's so important. This thing is so bright. What's going on? Like my face is tanning from this. He came to serve you faith when you were fearful. Has anyone ever been fearful? Raise your hand for me. We're going we're gonna to do a lot of raising hands and, and things like that. How many of you guys have ever been fearful of something? Fear of the dark, fear of the person sitting next to you, the fear of body odor, the fear of missing out, okay? He came to serve you faith. He came to serve you certainty when you were doubtful. How many of you have ever doubted anything? Maybe you've even doubted God. Maybe you've doubted the fact that you were loved by someone. Maybe you were doubting the fact that you belong here. Jesus comes to serve you, and he comes to serve you certainty. Like, hey, even though that person that you think should love you doesn't, I still love you. He came to serve you love when you are hated. Anyone ever felt hated in life? School, family, person sitting next to you? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Hey, he came to serve you love 
when you felt hated? Anyone ever felt broken? Anyone ever felt like, oh man, that relationship I was in didn't work out so well, or my friends betrayed me, or mom and dad maybe just don't care about me as much? He came to serve you hope. What about those who have ever been lost in the dark? I'm not talking about like the dark in your room, like, where's my nightlight? But more of like, <laughs> hey, if you got a nightlight, hey, I'm not, that's cool, bro. Like, you know what? You got a nightlight? So do I. Um, if you've ever felt like you were alone in the dark, he came to serve you light. Because that's what Jesus does. Because that's who Jesus is. He is a servant of all. The gospel is for everyone, and Christ came to put that gospel on display. Jesus is the master servant. You thought you served well? Wrong. Jesus is the master servant. Jesus is the master servant. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus is the master servant. Jesus, for crying out loud, got on his knees and started to wash the disciples' feet. I don't know about you, but feet are gross, okay? You get home, you take your socks off, and your mom's like, what's that smell? And you're like, I don't smell anything. Yeah, it's because it's your foot. Your foot stinks. You're like, how dare you, right? Jesus got down on his knees, put the feet of the disciples in water, and washed them. The most significant event of his servanthood wasn't just him washing the feet, but it was getting on a cross and dying for you. That was the greatest way that Jesus came to serve. As it says in Mark 10, we read it earlier, for he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He doesn't take demands, but he takes requests. But even in his own desires, he chooses to serve us and he does it well. You see, Jesus, I got another list for you. Jesus is a protector for those without protection. Jesus is a guide for those who have lost their ways. Jesus is a sanctuary for those who are in danger. I specifically posted these ones on here because I think we're in a very pivotal time in our culture that makes it seem as if people don't care about others as they should. And a lot of what I'm talking about is immigration. A lot of what I'm talking about regards your family coming from different areas of the world to try to find some sort of fulfillment and desire by pursuing the American dream or whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to get political with you because I don't think that this is a political issue. I think that this is a gospel issue. Because Jesus was so willing and receptive to anyone who came to him. Because anyone who is seeking protection, Jesus is that to them. Because anyone who is feeling like they are in danger, he becomes a sanctuary for them. For anyone who feels lost and they don't know where they're going, he says, I can guide you. Every single moment of your life that feels out of whack or like it doesn't fit or whatever it might be, Jesus fills that gap and he says, this is who I am and I am here for you. You see, as much as Jesus deserves to be treated as a master, he chose to be treated as a servant. In fact, the Bible says that he himself was homeless. Jesus was homeless. He didn't call anyone to his house, like, come to my mansion, let's have parties and let's go swimming in my pool, yo. No, he was like, hey, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see, Jesus 
took upon himself this homelessness so that he could reveal to them that it wasn't about any other power that saved them from their sins, but that it was the power of him alone who could save them from their sins. And while everyone else was waiting to be served, because let's be honest, how, much of, how many of us love to be served? You, you, you go to a restaurant, and maybe your parents frequent that restaurant a lot, and they just start bringing all this food, and you're just like, thank you, thank you. My parents go, they get sushi all the time, and so anytime they invite us to go get sushi, because they go out all the time, actually they go out all the time, but they, when they go on dates, they like to go get sushi together. I'll, I'll put it that way. And so when they invite us to come with them sometimes, the waiters will just bring them stuff that's not on the menu. They'll just bring them food, and it's just like, wow, thanks. And they don't charge you extra? Like, how awesome is that? Like, who doesn't want to be served? Like, hey, I got that for you. And it's like, wow, that was really cool. Like, no, no one asked you to do that for me? Like, how awesome is that? We all enjoy being served, but how often do we enjoy serving? We love all the attention when we get served. This is great. Wow, I'm a king. I'm going to eat like a queen. Woo. But the moment that we're called to serve, it's like, well, I don't think I'm called to that. Yeah, I don't, yeah, no, no, see, I, I, I can't do that. One of, our, one of um, our pastor friends here, Pastor Carmen, has said this, and I, I think it's really good because I think that it, it entails a lot of how we feel in life. We want to be called a servant, but the moment that we are called to serve, we don't want to be called that. Everyone wants to be called a servant, until they have to be treated like one. Because being called a servant makes us look humble, it makes us look like we love people, and oh, God bless you. You know, you're walking the old lady across the street, if that's still a thing, she should probably just get Instacart so she doesn't need to go to the grocery store anymore. But the reality is that a lot of times we want to be considered a good servant of God, but it's until we actually have to do the serving that we want to do that. Why is that? I think because our desires speak for themselves. But here's what we're called to do as Christians. If Jesus is the master servant, if our life is to be an imitation of Jesus, here's what it says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. It says, don't be selfish. We've, we've used these, these verses before. These are good. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. See, the Bible said that before, Kendrick, in case anyone was wondering. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. There it is. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had because we have been called to serve. So now that brings us to the second coming of Christ. Here's the second coming of Christ. Jesus comes back to the earth to restore peace. That is the ultimate end all of Jesus' story. Again, the rapture is a completely different scene that's taking place, and that is, a, that is a thing that we don't know the day or the hour which that will come. That's why the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. But the second coming of Christ actually has events prior to it that reveal, okay, Jesus is going to come back here soon. When we talk about the second coming of Christ, we're talking about Jesus coming back to earth, and it's in Revelation chapter 20. I won't get into it in too much detail, but we'll uh, just briefly mention it. He comes, on a, uh, he comes on a horse, he's in a white robe, and he's like, hey, what's up, all you sinners and evil people? <gasps> Boom! And he just knocks everyone out. 
and everyone who deliberately sins against him, um, he just completely wipes out at the very end. You're like, how rude. And it's like, well, you know what? If you were evil for a long time, I'd probably wipe you out too. And that was, sorry, that was just the sinful me. But the whole, the whole idea is that Jesus is coming back the second time, but when he does, he's going to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. What I mean by that is that he's coming back to restore the peace that he once intended to have in the beginning with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3, all those. This is the second coming of Christ. So how do you fit into this story? Well, I think you fit into it pretty well because you either fit into it as one who comes with Jesus back and lives on this new heaven and this new earth, and the Bible even actually says that you and I get to rule and reign with Christ. Ooh, how awesome is that? Like, I get to rule and reign with Christ? Like, that's sick, you know? Or you can fit in on the other side is that your desires of the world have clouded out the reality that Jesus is this perfect, holy God. So you either serve him or you're going to be served by him eternal death. You see, Re Revelation is a weird book, okay? If you've ever read, how many of you guys have never read Revelation? You've never read it? Raise your hand. That's okay if you haven't. I don't blame you to an extent because it's like, huh? There's a beast and a dragon and horses and plagues and huh? And what? And why? And there's all kinds of stuff. Revelation's a weird book. It gives us a story that is apocalyptic, the whole zombie apocalypse thing, like that all originated here in Scripture. It's like an end-of-the-world scenario. There are a lot of uncertainties about what some things mean in Revelation. But the one thing that we do know for sure, we can't understand Revelation fully or interpret it to a point where it's like, oh, I know for sure all these different things are going to happen in Revelation. The one thing that we are sure of is that Jesus is coming back again. The second coming of Christ comes after all the events found in Revelation. It is when he comes to earth ready to conquer evil in the world, which will eventually welcome the new heaven, new earth. And a lot of people think at the end of it all, we all go to heaven, but what actually happens is that heaven comes down to earth. It's going to be a very similar experience to God in the garden with Adam and Eve, but this time it's going to be a perfect version with no possibility of sin. So now I bring you to Philippians chapter 3, because this reveals who our conquering king is and how you and I fit into the conquering king's role of the second coming of Christ. Let's read it together, Philippians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 12, if you still have your Bible open. If you don't, you can look at the screen. It says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already, uh, that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I want you to focus on this one thing, just as Paul says to focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. How many of you guys can be honest this morning that your past has kind of haunted you a little bit? I'll raise my hand. Because the devil is so good at reminding you of your past Pastor Greg has said so often, when Satan tries to remind you of your past, remind him of his future. I like that. Because we know how it ends, and Satan ends in defeat. But so often, we can only dwell on the past like, gosh, I screwed up. Man, I messed up big time. 
can't believe I did that. It's like, well, yeah, you know what? I can believe you did that because you're a sinner. You can believe I did that because I'm a sinner. But Paul says, forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. He goes on, he says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. And if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Verse 17, dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Do you know anyone like that? They brag on shameful things. They're focused so often on this life here on earth and what people think about them here on earth that they forget what Jesus already thinks about them. Verse 20, it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. Right there, there it is. Paul himself then in scripture was waiting for the return of Christ as our savior. Verse 21, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. This is what's going to take place at the second coming of Christ. That Jesus is going to bring everything under his control. Does God control everything now? Yes, ultimately he does. Does he allow things to happen in our lives? Yeah, certainly he does. Does he allow those difficulties to take place in our life? Yes, he does. But what this verse is telling us, God is not the author of those things. Don't get me wrong. He allows them to happen, but it's because sin already exists in our hearts and in this world. But he says here that God is going to bring everything under his control. The second coming of Christ is when Jesus comes and restores peace to everything here on earth. But my question to you that I think we need to ask ourselves of this morning is does our conduct show that we are enemies of Christ or friends of Christ? Does your life right now reflect one of being an enemy of God or a friend of God? You're kind of like, well, I mean not really living for God, but I'm not really like an enemy. Like, that's kind of a harsh language to use. Like, I'm not an enemy of God. You see, the Bible is actually pretty clear about this. It says that you are either for him or against him. There's no middle ground. You can't be kind of like, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm neutral when it comes to God. I'm not really for him, but I'm not really against him. No, see, if you're for him, you're for him. If you're not for him, you're against him. But let me give you even something I think that might convict you a little bit more. Your actions reveal whether you belong to him or you don't. Bless you. That was a perfect like, segue into the next moment. Because our life right now 
is revealing whether we are prepared for him to come or not. Like I said earlier, we don't know when he's coming back. The Bible says that he can come back at any time. But what happens is I think so often we can get so bogged down on the details of Revelation, like I don't know what's going to happen in Revelation. That's okay. Sometimes it's better to not know what's going on and then, than to think you know what's going on. But the one thing that we do know is that Jesus is coming back again. That is a for sure 100% guarantee. There is no money back thing because you're not going to need your money back because it's going to happen. This is the guarantee that Jesus is coming back. Are you prepared? You don't prepare for a storm as the storm is coming like, oh, that, those are raindrops. They should probably get ready. No, see, you should already be ready for that storm before it hits because if you aren't, it's already too late. We don't need to be so caught up in the details of what will happen then. We need to be caught up with what our lives look like right now. Is my life, ask, your, ask yourself this question and, and write it down because I want you to pray about this this week. I want you to challenge yourself. I want you to examine the things that you do in your life because I think a lot of times we can find ourselves actually laughing at the jokes that we know we shouldn't be laughing at or listening to the music that we shouldn't be listening to. I told you a few weeks ago I was on my Apple Music profile and I... I had the explicit content on. I don't listen to it, but it was just on. I never really like thought otherwise until I realized that 20 of the top or that the, the top 20 songs on Apple Music right now are all explicit lyrics. Drugs, sex, F this, F that, everything else. One song was not explicit, but it was still talking about sex and things like that. I think that that is derivative of the culture we're living in and the things that you and I are listening to. And I think what happens is we're, we're unaware of that, actually. I think we've become so used to it that it's just like, oh, I didn't even realize what, it, what, it's, what it's saying or what I'm hearing. Wait till you get a three-year-old and they're like, Daddy, what does that word mean? Like, what? <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, she doesn't, when uh, Lindsay, yesterday, she told me to shut up, kind of like joking, like, shut up. And, and Finley looks at her and she's like, Mom, you, you can't say that. Like, like, I say shut up all the time. And she's like, no, no, Mommy, you're not supposed to say shut up. And it's like, am I so clueless to my own sin that I don't see it, but my three-year-old can see it? So ask yourself this question. Is my life reflecting that I believe Jesus can come back at any time? And am I ready for him to be Lord over me? Going back to the whole idea of mom coming home, lights coming up the driveway. Are you prepared for mom to come back home? Are you prepared for the headlights to come up the driveway? So that when mom and dad walk back in the house, you're like, everything's done. In fact, I even did a little bit more. Whether you're doing that because you wanted more in your allowance or more screen time or whatever, part of the problem is that we aren't prepared as we should be. We're gonna, uh, my family and I are going to be going camping this next weekend, and there's a lot of things I need to get ready for. I need a tent. I need firewood. I need food. I need a sleeping bag. I need a pillow. I need all these things. And I, I freak out because every time I leave, I always think I forget something. Do you guys ever do that? Like if you're, if you're getting ready for camp or you're going somewhere for a long time, like, wait, did I pack my toothbrush? Oh, my gosh. You know, you start freaking out because just inside you feel like there's something that you missed. 
But then you look and it's like, I have everything I need. I think a lot of times we can treat our relationship to God like that. Like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm missing something. And Jesus comes and he guarantees you. He's like, you know what? Actually, you're good to go. Because if you believe in your heart, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. And if you are saved, it means that you are ready and prepared to meet the Lord one day. But it's not just that one-time thing. Salvation is a one-time process, but sanctification, being set apart from the world, it doesn't just happen like that. You can't just snap your fingers and like, oh, look, my life is all better now. In fact, I think it might even get a little bit harder. But I think that's God's way of preparing us even better for him to come back again. So does your life reflect the realities of believing that he can come back at any time? I want you to examine your heart as we close here now. Let's pray together. Lord, we are mindful of the fact that you can come back at any time. We are mindful of the fact that your word says that you will come like a thief in the night, that no one will really know the day or the hour in which you will come. But what we do know is that you will be coming back again after that to reestablish heaven here on earth. But in order for us to prepare for the storm, we need to be ready before the storm hits. So if you're here today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and maybe your life isn't really prepared for the storm, maybe you've just kind of let life go as it goes and whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to necessarily call you to Christ this morning. I'm going to call you to being intentional this morning. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you believe that you haven't been as intentional with your life as you should, meaning that you haven't really thought through whether you're prepared or not, I want you to simply raise your hand in confession to the Lord, and I want to pray with you. This is admitting that your lifestyle isn't reflective of God's. This might mean that you've compromised in a few areas of your faith and you've just kind of allowed it to take place in your life and your heart has been consumed by it. I want to ask you that if you want to just confess to needing to change your lifestyle, I want you to just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. God bless you guys. Anyone else? God bless you as well. Anyone else? God bless you and you, and you. All right, anyone else? This is not a prayer to ask for God to save you from your sins necessarily, although you can pray that, and we hope you already have, and if you haven't, you should. But this is more a prayer of confessing that you need help in changing your lifestyle because it hasn't reflected what it should as a follower of Jesus. So I want you to pray something like this. Lord, I know my lifestyle is not right. I've compromised on a few things. I have other idols, other gods in my life apart from you. But Lord, I'm asking for help because I want you to smash those idols to remove those gods, that you would be my only God, that you would be my only Lord.
that you would be my only Savior. I want you right now to pray that you would have the Holy Spirit convict you and challenge you. We use that language all the time because we believe that the Holy Spirit can do a work here that I can't. I'm not going to leave here with you and go back to your house. But God is, because God goes with you everywhere you go. He's there even when you forget, and he's there even when you remember, in the good and in the bad. But we believe that the Holy Spirit can challenge you to grow and to convict you to cut off the sin that needs to be cut off. So pray that prayer of confession and to be challenged by the Lord here today, and may he do exactly that for you.